Hello, it's Jesse. In this episode, I made not one but four minor errors just via slips of the tongue. What an idiot. It was Katie's fault. I figured I'd address them here so you little detectives don't write in complaining. Okay, so first there's a moment when we're talking about the accusation Joy Reid wrote homophobic stuff on her blog, and I mentioned the accusation that these remarks were transphobic. I just misspoke. I don't think anyone accused her of transphobia. Second, when we're talking about Chapo Trap House demanding Democrats line up behind Bernie Sanders, at one point I say Biden instead of Sanders, as though they're demanding allegiance to Biden. That's obviously not true. I didn't mean that. I meant Sanders. Third, I mentioned the potential prosecution of Seth Mnookin, but I meant Stephen Mnookin. I mixed up my Mnookins. Happens to the best of us. Finally, at one point I refer to a certain character in this week's sprawling cast as her which was how he identified at the time, but he has since transitioned to non-binary and goes by he or they pronouns. That was unintentional, and I apologize. Thank you, and I look forward to you finding all the other errors in this week's episode. Jesse, how's it going? Uh, I'm pissed off at you, Herzog. Uh-oh, what did I do? All right, so, so here's my routine for creating this podcast every week. Every Friday, I wake up. I listen to a podcast called The Fifth Column. Uh, it's sort of our our brother podcast, our older brother. Older, better brother. And older, better brother. Older, older, better brother. Older, butter brother. Brother. Um, yeah, so what I'll do is I'll take uh, one of their segments. So like, let's say Michael Moynihan goes on a five-minute rant about, uh, you know, the stuff he cares about, white genocide, immigrants taking our jobs, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So I'll, I'll transcribe whatever he says change a few words here or there, and then just pass that off, uh, those insights off as my own on our podcast. This is known as um, aggregating. Yeah, totally fair. So that's how I make the podcast. Without without what they say, there wouldn't be a podcast because I'm just aggregating all their words. This week, however, you went on that podcast and I can't really aggregate what you said because that would be weird. I apologize for that, Jesse. It was also, it was hard for me to be on the fifth column because if I'm on the fifth column, then I can't listen to the fifth column. Um, so very tough week for both of us. Yeah, it's hard times all around. What What is this uh, this podcast we're doing that's experiencing such a difficult stretch? This is Blocked and Reported and I'm Katie Herzog. And I am Jesse Single. And Jesse, what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about the ancient Twitter war between two tribes that will always hate one another. This would be Brocialist Twitter versus Woke Twitter. So were these the Bernie Brocialist? Yes. Yeah, the Bernie Brocialist. Okay. So, but first, we have some ranting to do. Yeah. Well, it's complicated, right? Because we we basically we got some complaints about two different aspects of um, the last week's worth of content. Maybe I'll just I'll blaze through the Erica Anderson thing first. Sure. Yeah. So so in our feed, there's an 80 minute interview I did with Dr. Erica Anderson. She's a trans woman and a youth gender clinician in San Francisco. I was really happy with the interview. I think she's a really important voice on this stuff. We got various complaints from our patrons that we didn't address this or that. Some of them I just like didn't agree with. Like, you know, people were like, why didn't you ask her to de- uh, define gender identity? And it's like, I think gender identity is a fuzzy subject. I also think that if you're a clinician, a good one, you're like, you're much more focused on like, how can we help this kid get over their dysphoria or should they go on hormones? I'm not sure the sort of more philosophical questions would have been a good fit. That said, I followed up with her and she's willing to answer a few more questions. So if you're a patron, which of course you should be if you're a decent person, I'm going to post a uh, just a, a post 
and ask people to submit questions. And the three most upvoted ones, I will email to her and then we'll post her uh, voice responses. Oh, that's a good idea. Sorry, I should have run that by you before we recorded. <laughs> well, it's a good idea. I, I really enjoyed the interview. I learned a lot. Erica Anderson is so sensible and reasonable. And I really found myself agreeing with her sort of more than I expected to. And I think part of that is because I spend so much time immersed in sort of the dumb Twitter culture wars bullshit talk about about uh, trans issues that it's easy to lose perspective on sort of take it out of Twitter and back to real life. Um, so I, I, I found it I found it really a really interesting interview and also made me a little bit um, hopeful that, you know, like there are people in the world who are working in this uh, on this issue who are not totally fucking deranged Twitter activists, which should be obvious, but it's sometimes easy to lose sight of that. Yes. When when like the, the big Atlantic article I wrote, I quoted her and I quoted some other really good clinicians. If it were a fact that all the youth gender clinicians in the country followed these guys' example, I think we'd have very little to worry about. The problem is, I, as uh, Dr. Anderson said, it's sort of a wild west out there, and a lot of like underqualified people are getting into youth gender stuff who just have no fucking clue what they're doing. Right, right, totally. Uh, yeah, I, re I really recommend the, everybody listen to that, especially people who have sort of more gender critical leanings. Um, I think this is a this is a really en enlightening conversation. Yeah, no, and well, or the other way too. People who think that there's like no, no, uh, nothing to worry about here. I think, right? I do think she's a good messenger for this because she's experienced. She's trans. She's been through undue gatekeeping herself as an adult. So to me, like, if she's worried about this and worried about the the right wing uh, bills, um, you know, trying to ban youth gender stuff, uh, we should listen to her. But uh, okay, that was one thing. The other thing involved a subject. I'm finally glad we get to talk about more because we haven't mentioned it on the show enough, the N-word. <laughs> well, yes, we need more N-word content for the show. So basically, people were mad. Uh, I forget exactly how you phrased the question, but you basically asked if I had heard white people use the N-word as a slur in real life. I said I had not. Um, when I said that, I was thinking of like using it as a slur against a black person in their presence. In retrospect, I realized I once heard a contractor who my parents hired to like work on the house forever ago, um, the most stereotypically Boston guy ever in like all the negative aspects of that stereotype, white Bostonian. He did use it uh, to talk about black people. Uh, I was very young. I, I'd like to think I would have like stood up to him or something uh, if I were older, but that's the only time I've heard it that way. Um, but people were mad that we had both said we'd basically not experienced that in our upbringing, right? Or, or I don't know if they were mad so much as they just didn't believe it. Um, they didn't believe us, yeah. So there was a fairly robust debate on our subreddit, which is uh, reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported, which is a it's a great place to have conversations about the show. Um, but somebody posted that they didn't believe me when I said that I'd never heard a white person use the N-word. Um, I can understand why people would find that unbelievable. I grew up in the South in the 80s and 90s, but it's just true. I mean, it's just true. I never heard anybody say it. Um, I asked a, a friend of mine from home if she heard anyone say it. She agreed with me that she that she like heard her boyfriend in, in high school sing it, sing the N-word at a rap, with a rap song at one point, but that was not taboo at the time. People seem to forget that, but it was really not taboo in the, you know, in the, in the 90s um, to sing along with, with, with rap lyrics. Um, but she, she agreed with me. I, I asked my sister too. She'd never heard it. Um, and people seemed really just to, to not believe that it was possible that you could live in the American South in that time period and never hear anybody say the N word. I think the reason, there's a couple reasons for this. Part of it is class and politics. I grew up 
you know, in a in a, a rural area of North Carolina, in the Appalachian Mountains of, of North Carolina. But my parents are college professors. Almost all of my friends growing up, their parents were college professors. Very few people were actually natives of the area. Most of them were imports from from other places, academics who came to, to work at the university. They were all liberal. Um, and we just didn't say the N-word. Nobody said it. There was a, a huge taboo against it. And also, we weren't racist. And we weren't anti-racist, but we weren't racist. Yeah. Or at least we didn't think that we were racist. I'm sure other people would argue that white people are always racist, that we had some you know implicit bias uh, biases that would... <laughs> that even if you're not saying the word, you're still racist. But we didn't say it. It was not common. And if, and if anybody had said it around me, I'd like to think that I would have, I would have responded to them. Um, but people found this really unbelievable. You know, and I, the other thing to mention here is that one of the reasons I probably never heard it was because the area that I grew up in was incredibly white. Yeah. There was a small population of, uh, of Native Americans. I grew up not far from a, from a, the reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina. Um, but for the most part, there were very few minorities around. If you were the one black girl in my kindergarten through eighth grade school, you probably heard the N-word. Um, but I wasn't her. Um, and so I didn't hear it. There, there was just this, and this is not to say that there wasn't racism. I mentioned this on the, on the show last week, but the, the mascot for my, for my, Kindergarten through through eighth grade school was a Confederate general. This just got changed last week. The school board voted to change it. Um, there were Dixie flags everywhere. I grew up on a street that was named after not the first resident, but the first white resident. So this isn't to. I'm not. I'm not pretending that this was like some sort of utopian paradise where there was no racism. There was racism, um, but there was just a, a major taboo against saying the N-word within my social circle. Um, I'm sure that there are other social circles where it was not taboo, probably the ones where they would wear Dixie flag t-shirts all the time. Um, but that wasn't who I hung out with. And so I think, you know, a lot of this is, is, uh, is demographics, but it's also sort of class and, uh, class and, and education level and things like that. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I feel such an urge to like hedge and be like, I didn't mean this, I didn't mean that. That's sort of silly. Like it's a big country with very different types of white people. And the type of white person I'm most familiar with is like the the liberal do-gooder type. We were socialized at a very early age never to use that word. We also grew up in a segregated city where like there was a, a busing program. So there were like two black kids in each of our classes. It was mostly white and like a little bit Asian. Um People, you know, there there's racism, but I think it's different. I think it's very class-based. I think it's like I'm convinced that if someone tried to build affordable housing in the nice leafy suburb I grew up in, people would make – suddenly have all these problems with it. You know, the same people doing white fragility trainings. That's my critique of like, you know, fancy white racism. It, it isn't about hurling – the n-word it's much more subtle than that the other thing was like i'll, I'll post um my tweet about it but the replies were really interesting just in the geographic sort of variability like one interesting theory to me is that you actually hear it less in the south than you do in northern cities because like the, the one of the major points of the whole great migration is like black people got to these big urbane cities and found they were just as fucking racist like I, i'm not sure you can necessarily say, oh, well, in the South, they use that word. In the North, they don't. Like, the North is often just as segregated. And I actually think in some red Southern areas, there's, like, better mixing and integration, if that makes sense. Like, I, I live in a part of Brooklyn that is, like, technically diverse, but not integrated at all. Right, right. Um, yeah, and it, it depends on where you where you live in the South. A lot of the South is does have a, a, a large Black population. 
the corner of the South where I grew up didn't have uh, a large black population. It just really depends on, on where you live. Um, I do remember when I was in high school, I had a, um, a black friend who went to my school and she had her parents were academics and they had moved from, I think her, her, her father was a Nigerian immigrant or something. They had moved from somewhere else to, to teach at the university. And the, the racism that was directed at her, I remember, I don't know if, if people like ever called her the N word, but I do remember one of our friends or someone in our group at one point saying to her, oh, but you're not really black. So there was that sort of racism, this assumption that like, oh, you don't fit this sort of stereotype in yeah. my head about what a black person is. Um, and at the time, I don't think anybody would have said like, uh, you're being racist. Um, although that is that is clearly racist. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of sort of in both directions, a lot of liberal white racism really is about class. Like that thing I said about aff affordable housing that would not apply if they were like, oh, we're going to build three new big houses and fill them with uh, black doctors and their families. Right. Like I think in the town I grew up with, that would be that would be welcome. I'm sure there's a few creeps who would not want that. But so many of these race issues are bound up in a class in in, in ways we don't talk about. So um, yeah, as always, I, I think the two of us are the best messengers for any sophisticated conversation about American race relations. Yeah, people keep noting that in the, the one-star reviews for our podcast, they keep saying <laughs> – the two best people to talk about race issues are these dumb fucks, these white dumb fucks. All right. So, Katie, do you know the name Nira Tandon? Indeed. Tell, remind us who Nira Tandon is. She's a Twitter star. <laughs> so Nira Tandon is a longtime sort of like democratic policy person. She ran the Center for American Progress, which, full disclosure, I worked there between – God – 2007 and 2009. It was two years. I worked for it. It was called Campus Progress. It was like the uh, the youth propaganda arm. We we tried to like turn kids gay and stuff. That was big back then. How, how was uh How was your track record? We got we got you. You might not remember, but <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how we that came happened. to North Carolina. We were like, listen up. There's a new sexuality in town. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So she she ran the Center for American Progress. She was going to be the head of the Office of Management, Office on Management and Budget. She did not get the votes. They withdrew her nomination. And this was partly because she had done like really mean tweets. And I'll read a few of them. She deleted like a thousand of her tweets. But here's a few examples. I'm reading from the U.S. Sun. I thought the Sun was a British publication. I didn't know they had a U.S. one. She branded Senator Tom Cotton a fraud and said vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz. I mean... Can you really disagree with that? Right. The 50-year-old also attempted to dub, dub Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell Voldemort and Moscow Mitch. One deleted tweet said, apparently a lot of people think hashtag Moscow Mitch is a threat. Hats off, uh, Joe NBC Joe Scarborough. But her Twitter habits began much earlier, as the former aide of Hillary Clinton began suggesting that Russia had interfered in the 2016 election by favoring Democrat Senator Bernie Sanders. A tweet from 2018 that remains on Tandon's account read, Russia did a lot more to help Bernie than the DNC's random internal emails did to help Hillary. Okay, these are not particularly like crazy tweets, but she definitely doesn't – on the one hand, she doesn't follow like the decorum you'd like in some big public policy figure. On the other, like the disingenuousness of Republicans who had very little to say about Donald Trump, like pretending to be scandalized by this was was something, right? 
Right. Uh, you can you can both think that her tweets were bad and that there's hypocrisy behind uh you know members of the Republican Party um trying to get this woman, you know, her her nomination removed because of bad tweets when they supported Donald fucking Trump. Yes. Um now, over the years, Tandon had made other enemies. I don't think she was like a great manager and didn't come across well, especially online. At one point, she accidentally outed uh, the alleged an alleged sexual harassment victim during a Center for American Progress meeting. Was she, that how is that an accident? She like said the person's name. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think she said it was an accident. She hadn't meant to. Who who knows? Um, she also she had a miniature stroke at the exact <laughs> moment. It was like a Tourette's thing. Um, she also, like, at another event, I think with Hillary Clinton, Faz Shakir, who was a higher up at CAP, I think for Think Progress, and went on to work for Bernie Sanders, asked Hillary Clinton about her support for the Iraq War. This was in 2008. And Neera Tandon either pushed him or punched him, depending on whose account you believe. Lean in, girl. Lean in. Exactly. So as a general rule, I think it's fair to say that you should not push or punch your employees, although maybe they were like friends or whatever. Okay. This is like a, uh, you know, this was a recent news story, but because I'm a nerd about sort of recent internet history, what this really got me thinking of was this like half decade now roaring fight between what I will call, and these are names both sides do not like, brochalist Twitter, which hates Nero Tandon, and woke Twitter, which Nero Tandon is part of. How familiar are you with like the basics of this divide? Uh... I was not hyper online during this. Uh, I had a, a, a richer, fuller life until recently. Um, so I didn't observe this in real time, but I do know about the conflict between, like, let's say, like the Elizabeth Warren versus the Bernie Sanders yeah. um, wing of the Twitter Democratic parties. Right. So, okay, I'll give you a little, a little internet history lesson because I, I think – this stuff echoes to this day and is like a nice microcosm of all these fights going on on the left. So the short version is like Bernie Sanders emerges. He quickly develops like this really – he's an inspiring figure. A lot of people love him. I understand it. You know, I'm not a Bernie bro per se. In 2016, the primary gets pretty fiercely um, uh, cantankerous, the, the stuff going on between Bernie and Hillary. And these two camps emerge online, one of them which I will call woke Twitter – Includes, among many others, uh, Sarah Kenzior, Kenzior uh, Amani Gandhi, who goes by Angry Black Lady, uh, Jude Doyle, who formerly went by Sadie. I'm not supposed uh, to say <clears> that. <throat> I, no, no, formerly, I'm not. There's literally no way to look up some of the shit without knowing what no, his old name is. I'm clearing my throat because the day that we record this, the morning that we record this, Jude, nay, Sadie Doyle. Uh, has we have discovered that this person published a um a screed on Substack calling you a stalker, <laughs> saying that you stalk trans women. We have a lot to say about this. We're going to yeah. talk about it at our Patreon episode um, that we're going to record after this. So if people want to hear uh, hear, I don't know if Jesse's mad, but I'm very mad about this. Um, so if people want to hear some anger, uh, join our Patreon. Katie, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> also, I'm in good <laughs> I'm company. I'm in good company because um, Doyle recently accused Liz Brunig of like threatening Doyle's children. This is a person who makes like unhinged claims regularly. So I feel like I'm in very good company here. Also, in the same post, uh, Doyle went after like everyone else on Substack he doesn't like because 
we're going to talk about this big reaction to Substack. That's really crazy in the Patreon episode. Um, okay. Amanda Marcotte, Amy Siskin, Joy Reid, Al Giordano, and, and many others were in this, the Hillary camp. The Hillary camp, who I'm calling woke Twitter, they are very into identity as the best lens for understanding the world. They are, I would call them identitarian today. I'm not sure I used that term back then. They really like to talk about race and gender. They also believe that like internet harassment is a very big deal and that it hits uh, women and people of color disproportionately. That's a big part of the worldview. Okay. And their their understanding of what harassment is encompasses any sort of criticism directed direct at them. Oh, we will get there, sister. Don't worry. Uh, All right. Can I call you sister from now on? Is that okay? Yeah. You can't call me sister, but you can call me sister. <laughs> Not with the uh, the dropped R. Mm -hmm. uh, sister. Uh, okay. That's one side. Starts with a C. <laughs> the other side is brochalist Twitter. They do not like this term either. I'm using the terms both of them don't like. Brochalist Twitter are big fans of Bernie Sanders, and many of them are people who it would be unfair to say they were like, we don't care if Trump wins in 2016 because part of the problem was people didn't take that possibility seriously. I think most of them push come to shove would say they, they would have preferred Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump, but they saw a huge difference between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is part of the problem. She's this neoliberal DLC centrist, uh, you know, just not a good figure. Bernie Sanders is probably not as far to the left as they want, but he's the future. Brochalist Twitter is anyone associated with Chapo Trap House. So that's like um, Will Menneker, uh, Amber Frost, Virgil Texas. Who's the other one? Uh, Matt Christman. Yeah. There's also Matt Brunig Lid Bru and Liz Brunig. They are both sort of like young wunderkind types. Matt Brunig does um, poverty policy. Liz is was at the Washington Post. She's now at the New York Times. I think you said this, but Liz is like really easy to hate because she just seems to like be good at everything and have a perfect life, right? Well, she would be easy to hate it, except that she seems like also a genuinely very good person, which yes, makes that me makes her even more hateable. more hateable. Yeah. Yeah. She's horrible. Uh, then there's also Glenn Greenwald, who I like Glenn, but he's, he does not always come off as sweetly as uh, Liz Bruning. Uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who was uh, Bernie Sanders' press secretary. I'm not sure how active she was back in 2016, but those are some of the names. There's a million more names. Okay. So over the course of uh, 2016 in particular, there are all these incredible fights between them that are just like increasingly intense and crazy. Uh, one of the key ones that like actually sort of left a scar that people aren't aware of across like many people. Do you know about Jacob, Jacobin Ghazi? No, I don't. Please, please explain this. All right. So the short version is Sarah Kenzior, who I think it, uh, she has a podcast called like Gaslight Na Gaslit Nation. She has done very well in the Trump years. She hurled a series of really unfair accusations against the leftist magazine Jacobin, against writers and editors. She basically accused them of masterminding death and rape threats against her, which is like a really serious accusation, right? Yeah, definitely. A bunch of like really big Twitter names at the time immediately lined up to support her and say like, do the, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. All the available evidence suggests Sarah Kenzie just made this all up. Like basically what had happened was Amber um, Frost, who now is with Chapo, she had done a piece for Jacobin. Basically she linked to a tweet that um, Sarah Kenzier did complaining about harassment and I think calling people brochalists. Amber said, like, basically contested her framing. Like, you you know, serious harassment. You shouldn't just call them brochalists or whatever. 
Sarah Kedzie somehow jumped from that to Jacobin is endorsing rape threats against me. What? Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. I will include, it is very hard to even explain this controversy. Was she getting a lot of rape and death threats? Uh, you're the one who usually questions it when people say they are. Uh, I assume she got some. I, look, I only question it. I only question it if I if I cannot find the available evidence to support their claims. I would argue that Sarah Kenzier does not necessarily have an amazing track record with regard to the truth value of her claims. Did I phrase that diplomatically enough? You are still an ally to all women. Yes. Am I on safe legal ground? Um, <laughs> this I'll include a few links, but this is like an impossible scandal or mini scandal to even understand. And the low point came when one of the editors accused of being in favor of rape threats was a female Jacobin editor who is herself a rape survivor. Ah, uh, yes. So a female rape survivor is being told that she is in favor of sending rape threats to people. That's not ideal. She probably just has Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> um, that was one of the scandals that really made these groups hate each other. People on the Jacobin Gazi side of it are on the Jacobin side of it. I think like some of them years later just cannot believe what they were accused of on the basis of so little evidence. And, you know, some of them are doing well, but Sarah Kenzier's career has like flourished despite the fact that I think she sometimes does stuff like this. I, I can't, you know, I can't point to examples that are sure, but she does like level big claims against people. Okay. Do you remember alligator, woke alligator Gazi? Uh, was that when a kid fell into an alligator pit? <laughs> Why am I laughing? Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, that is when that tragic event occurred. This is really reminding me of how little I was online during these years. And I know. I'm feeling very bad about myself. It's like I'm teaching like a, a brief mini course in horrible recent internet culture, but you know nothing about this era. I know nothing. I basically didn't exist until 2017. So all these communities have these like you know, the guppies at the bottom with no followers and then the hangers on and the sort of mid-tier people. There was a woman called Brienne of Snarth and uh, she tweeted the following after a two or three-year-old was killed by an alligator. Ahem. <laughs> I'm so finished with white men's entitlement lately that I'm really not sad about a two-year-old being eaten by a gator because his daddy ignored sides. Wow. Such compassion. So I'm assuming that this was at like a an alligator, like a zoo alligator pit sort of thing, and the kid fell in, or the dad, I don't know, told him to go take a photo with the alligator or something like that. <laughs> hey, Timmy, go ride that yeah. alligator. Uh, yeah, I don't know the Do details. Do it for the gram. This like this led to a major online pylon. Like an article in Wired even was just like this is an incredibly fucked up tweet. And, and wait, was this a was this a, a random person with a bad tweet or was this somebody with some social cachet? No, she was like a mid tier. Okay, pseudonymous. Uh, I think she had like maybe ten thousand followers, so it wasn't a nobody. But um, uh, but th this was the subject of a the target of a massive pylon. You can understand why people are upset. Like a kid is dead, and you're. But but to brochalist Twitter, like what better example is there of this idea of like people who are so obsessed with identity, even an objectively horrible thing like a kid dying from an alligator attack is an opportunity to bash white people. Right, right. It sounds like it could be like a very funny joke, but I guess it was not. This person was being serious. Yes, they were. Uh, no, they in context, they were clearly being serious. Uh, okay, perhaps the biggest like sorts of contention was um Matt Brunig is a very smart guy. I like him. He tended to sort of throw elbows on Twitter. 
I would not say he would harass people, but I think he had hundreds of thousands of followers. And if you got in a fight with him, a lot of his followers were aggressive. The same thing is true of Chapo Trap House. Like, I don't think the hosts of that show do anything, well, do much of what could fairly be called harassment. But if you get in a fight with them, uh, you know, it's going to be unfun. Your your menchies will be a mess for a while, which I, I don't think that's her. You know, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Why don't we have that? Why isn't our army of reply guys out there issuing death threats and rape threats? Do better. I I I know. I mean, that's what we've been telling people is just harass right. everybody. It is annoying. Also, I think I don't know about you. I definitely get treated as though I have this like army of angry reply guys because people like to. Right. Anytime I disagree with someone, it's it's harassment. I, I don't even have the benefit of having an actual army of reply guys. Instead, ha- like most of my followers just actively dislike me right, and disagree right. with me. As they should. So it's very frustrating. As they should. Um, okay, so Matt Brunig gets in fights with Nira Tandon. Uh, in one fight, he there's a meme called Scumbag Steve. Do you know, do you know Scumbag Steve? I don't. <laughs> Katie. How do you host a podcast on internet culture? Scumbag Steve, you can Google it. It's just a meme of like this very scummy looking white dude with like a goofy hat. And it's like, you know, scumbag, scumbag Steve uh, always takes his last slice of pizza. That that was a horrible example. But Brunig and uh, Tandon got in a fight and he called her scumbag Nira. And at the time, Brunig was, had a gig blogging about inequality for a think tank called Demos. He got fired because he made a meme joke about Nira Tandon. Because he called a politician a scumbag. Yeah. Well, I guess she's a, a public policy person, but she's at CAP at the time. But yeah. And the right. argument was like, you know, we're Demos. We work with CAP, with the Center for American Progress. We can't have that. I was I was torn on it at the time because like, I do think if you work for, you know, if I work at New York Magazine, that puts certain constraints on the things I can say about my colleagues or people at other magazines. But but what was striking about this and something I've noticed is like the my main critique of the woke side of this debate is they they are often themselves very aggressive. I mean Doyle's a great example of that. If you get on Doyle's wrong side, it's a fucking nightmare. They like to pretend that things like calling someone scumbag Steve are just these horrible breaches of etiquette and they will try to get you fired over it. Right, right. There's a, a lack of perspective. Yeah, yeah. And and this gets to like the brochalist ar- argument that I am most sympathetic to, which is like, you're near a Tandon, you run a powerful, ostensibly nonpartisan, but clearly Democrat affiliated think tank, you have power, you can't just like, someone being mean to you online is not really harassment in any meaningful sense. And I think we've seen this idea get stretched to the point where it's like, you know, uh, well, for one thing, people saying Nira Tandon, it was some sort of harassment or racial thing that she didn't get this position, or people referring to Kamala Harris as just like a woman of color flattening these other aspects of her power and identity. That's what it is, right? It's like flattening someone's actual place in the world and wealth and all that. So they're just this like helpless cardboard cutout, I think. Right. It's a cynical ploy to sort of to win points in these stupid fights. I mean, I saw, you know, I assume that you've also been following the latest Taylor Lorenz uh, kerfuffle. Uh, 
Yeah. Just say yes. Yeah. So Taylor Lorenz, who we've talked about on the podcast before, reporter for the New York Times, Tucker Carlson uh, did a segment um, sort of mocking her for this. This She tweeted something on International Women's Day about how the, the online harassment she gets has destroyed her life. Tucker Carlson did at least one, maybe two segments mocking her for this. And then the response on the part of a lot of people, like, especially like, and Glenn Greenwald has pointed this out, like, dudes on Twitter is to say, like, she's a young woman. You know, it's this sort of, like, you have to bring the identity into it. Like, you're harassing a young woman. It Taylor's, like, in her mid-30s, um, and she's a reporter for the New York Times. But there is this, like, you know, these identity characteristics that are that are apparently important um, when criticizing somebody. Yeah, to me, like, the Kamala Harris stuff bothered me the most because, like, she was fucking prosecutor in California, which is, like, bigger right. than most countries. To, like, right. I'm sure at some point she experienced bullshit by dint of having darker skin but to treat her as like this helpless victim and people did the same thing with like hillary clinton and liz warren where it's like i'm sure misogyny is part of the equation of why some people don't like them but these are like really fucking powerful people yeah for sure i mean i i agree with you i'm sure there is some misogyny in uh, in kamala's case maybe some racism involved in the way people people view them um but i don't think that the fact that you're a woman should mean that you shouldn't get criticized no um. All right. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll we'll talk about sort of the aftermath of that and some some more of the stuff. All right. All news is biased one way or another. Sometimes it's unconscious, simple human nature, and sometimes it's conscious, like when Katie tries to connect every single national news story, including this near attendant thing, to her big dumb dog Moose. The outcome is the same. Bias in the news impacts how we see the world. Adding in online filter bubbles to the mix has only made getting the full story harder than ever. Jesse, I'm not sure why you have to bring my precious dog Moose into this, but Ground News, the world's first news comparison platform, has taken a different approach to improving the broken media ecosystem. Ground News gives you the ability to compare how sources with different biases are covering a story, so you can easily see if it's being spun to fit a political narrative. Their app also alerts you to any news blind spots you may have, stories that were only covered by one side of the political spectrum. Oh, sorry, Katie. Allergies. Uh, moose. <coughs> Overrated. Uh, sorry. I just this time of year I get allergies. As a listener of Blocked and Reported, you're likely more interested in forming an informed opinion rather than consuming regurgitated partisan hackery or radical pro-moose material. Ground News enables you to do that for every story you read. It's a place for anyone who is tired of predictable mainstream narratives and interested in leaving their silos to see the fuller story. Learn more and try it for yourself by downloading the free Ground News app or try it on the web at ground.news blocked. That's ground.news blocked. Okay, so so Matt Bruden gets getting fired really emphasizes this fault line between the two sides where one side is like you guys, the, the brochalists are like you guys are in positions of power. You work at places like CAP. You're the Democratic establishment. You're getting people fired over fucking tweets. But then to the woke Twitter side, it's like Matt Brudig is a monster. He's he's directing death threats at people and rape threats. This is where Doyle got involved and, and wrote a long thing trying to make sure he wouldn't be able to work again and sort of destroy his reputation saying they had been harassed. Um, so it, it gets really ugly. And what I find sort of obnoxious about it um, – Oh, God. Okay. So, so at one point, Chapo Trap House, I think on the air, Will Menneker says that the 
anti-Bernie wing of the Democratic Party is going to have to, quote, bend the knee to the Bernie folks. And at the time, everyone in media world, like, well, maybe not you because you're a nerd. Did you watch Game of Thrones? No. Of course not. Everyone who's normal and cool and well-adjusted at the time uh-huh. was watching was watching Game of Thrones. And in that universe, bend the knee means pledge fealty to a new king. Say, I support this king. I swear my allegiance to this king. So Will Menneker was was using a Game of Thrones reference in an arguably overwrought or juvenile or macho way to say, like, everyone's going to have to throw their support behind Biden. This turned out to be wrong uh, and maybe a little obnoxious. But what uh, woke Twitter or a subset of it did was they said that what Will Menneker was saying was uh, that female feminists who support Hillary Clinton are going to have to get down on their knees and give Bernie supporters oral sex. <laughs> oh wow wow i can't believe that happened i can't believe that it's happened. outrageous that will Medicare would would threaten them with sexual assault because that's clearly i i mean how do you how do you engage or argue with someone who who's just acting in that level of bad faith it's like it's not fun to run into people like that you know i, I this bothers me because i don't like the chapo trap house people i find them really obnoxious with the exception of amber i do like amber um and I don't like defending people that I don't like, but apparently it needs to be done sometimes. That's fucking stupid. You know, uh, you know Joy Reid, right? The TV host. Oh yes, the one who uh, she wrote some homophobic, some homophobic shit on her blog a few years ago, got busted, and then made up this bullshit story about how her blog, like the archives of her blog, had been hacked, <laughs> like the internet archive, the Wayback Machine had been hacked, so people could throw in a little light homophobia. Right. So so this is another example of how like I, and, I think And wait, sorry, sorry to interrupt Jesse, but this didn't end her fucking career. The, no, that, and I that's don't think the point. that yeah. yeah, I don't think the homophobia should have ended her career. I I'd have some questions about her response to it. Right. Right. So one would think that lying is maybe just not a good uh, a good look for a you know a, a television journalist or a print journalist any journalist. So this is like so as you can probably tell like in many ways I side with brochalist Twitter. I've had horrible run-ins with people in both groups. I think most of them probably don't like me at least on Twitter. Overall, like the the Hillary side is just some of the worst people I've encountered on the left on Twitter, and I find them much more in a weird way more obsessive and fixated and toxic than like. Like a bunch of Chapo House trap Chapo Trap House people like send you photos of um oh it's like the pig with like shit on its balls. Shit on its butt. Yeah. 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 And it's like I'm I'm more disappointed in you than mad because it's just so unoriginal and you just you block them on mass. I think a lot of the Hillary people, including including Doyle, he's like the best example, is just nurse these grudges for years and never really get over it. But from the point of view of Brochelis Twitter, who has seen like Matt Brunig lose a gig at a time when he wasn't established professionally because he used a meme because he said scumbag Nira, then Joy Reid, someone digs up these old tweets where she said, this is Herman Lopez in Vox. The Post, for example, suggested without much, if any, evidence that Tom Cruise, Karl Rove, and Chief Justice John Roberts' sons are gay. <laughs> Now, we know that's true. They all turned out to be very gay. They're actually in a polycule. <laughs> They're in a polycule now. This was prescient. Prescient? I cannot pronounce that word. Prescient. Yeah, I think prescient. But, but yeah, they, they, Joy Reid, for, for saying something much worse than like scumbag Nira, they circled the wagons because she was in the in-group. And you mentioned a version of this in the Jola Tolentino thing. It's like 
completely different standards of evidence, uh, depending on if you're one of the cool kids or not. Like, no one on Doyle's side is going to tell her, you know, maybe you shouldn't accuse writers of being stalkers without evidence because, like, I'm one of the bad guys. And brochalist Twitter hasn't had a fair point that it's like, Joy Reid can just be transphobic years ago and then claim someone hacked her archives and then just like her, her status just goes up and up. So I think people understand that a lot of these harassment and sort of tone and etiquette issues are just, are basically bullshit. And there's completely different rules depending on um, if you're in the in-group or not. So did this transfer, did the, the, the Clinton identity politics uh, versus Bernie uh, brocialist politics. Do you think that this mapped neatly onto Elizabeth Warren's campaign with her being sort of the, the stand-in for for the uh, ID poll uh, Clinton figure in this case? I think yes. In, in, in 20, uh, 20, whatever, 2020. Yeah, I think there's near total overlap between the people who were on the woke side of these Twitter wars in 2016. I think they almost all went on to support Elizabeth Warren. If they're a counterexample, yeah. someone can point me toward them. Yes, I think... Yeah, the difference is I think Elizabeth Warren was a little bit more in terms of policies, like more populist than Hillary Clinton. Right. And that was always what she was best at. And she steered in the direction of like woke Twitter in a way that probably didn't help her. Right. I- I'm sure I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but during the primary, I was getting a lot of, you know, text messages from from different campaigns trying to get me to to vote for their candidate. And this was soon after Elizabeth Warren uh, and and a bunch of other candidates did the ill-fated uh, LGBTQ town hall, which should not have existed in the first place. But CNN did this like fucking seven-hour town hall where people just like basically repeated platitudes for seven hours. And Warren, when she wasn't repeating platitudes and also saying things like, yes, I supported gay marriage when I was a six-year-old living in Oklahoma, she literally said, somebody asked her, like, how have you, how has your, your perspective changed on gay issues? And she said basically, oh, it hasn't. I've always been in favor of, of, you know, of, of gay marriage, gay ish, of, of gay, of equality, which is hilarious because she was literally talking about, being in favor of gay marriage while she was a fucking child in Oklahoma in the 1960s when nobody was talking about gay marriage. Nobody. She was probably fucking homophobic. She was probably a turf for that matter. Anyway, she also said during this, uh, during this town hall that, uh, she would, she was asked by a nine year old trans boy how she would, uh, how, how, how as president she would she would help students like him not face bullying in schools and instead of saying like the honest answer which is like you know bullying is really a local problem she said um she said you know i'm going to i'm going to get a secretary of education who supports people like you and jacob this 9 year old trans boy you can vet the next secretary of education how's that feel and of course there's like widespread you know, like clapping, everybody cheers, blah, 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 blah. She said the right thing within the within the, the audience who were all queer people and allies. But to everybody else, or to most people, that sounds insane. You just said that you were going to let a nine-year-old vet the Secretary of Education. So, right. so I thought this was very stupid. I thought this was very bad politics. And I didn't think there was any fucking way, even though I like a lot of her policy positions, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, I thought there was no fucking way she would ever beat Donald Trump. And I was a single issue voter and my 
issue was beating Donald Trump. So when I got a text message from a camp, a Warren campaigner, um, urging me to vote for, for their candidate, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I would never vote for Elizabeth Warren because she makes idiotic mistakes, like saying, you know, she's going to let a nine year old vet this, a nine year old trans kid vet the next secretary of education. And the response I got back from this, this, uh, you know, this staffer, this person who's paid to text message people was, oh, so you don't support gay rights? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's like a Twitter I, interaction with woke Twitter. Exactly. Exactly. And then I got the chance to say, to, to, to respond that this person has was texting an actual fucking lesbian. I am like me and my wife are scissoring right now. <laughs> right now. Right now. And our dog is on the end of the bed. That's how gay we are. <laughs> oh man. You don't support gay people. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I think most of the Hillary people migrated to Liz Warren, and I think they did some, some of the same bad faith stuff. I am open about the fact that I was very wrong. I thought Biden was the wrong choice. I was about um, indifferent between Bernie and uh, Liz Warren, but uh, clearly didn't work out that way. Uh, okay, I guess the last anecdote here, which is my favorite one, and will actually circle us back to, to Nira, is um, so – Basically, I don't even know where to begin with this. Do you? Do, what does the concept of a corn cob mean to you? Um, that's what we call when moose is chewing on his tail. I don't know what this means uh, outside of of the context of moose. So basically, um, okay. So so do you know Drill, the sort of like king of weird humor Twitter? Yeah. Can you explain explain it for the people? Yeah, Drill is just this this very strange, brilliantly funny surrealist account. I I, I could not possibly do justice to it. Uh, it's at D R I L. It goes by Wint. It has like a fucked up, uh, fuzzy photo of I think Jack Nichols Nicholson. Um, you just gotta check him out to to see what I'm talking about. Here's a. It, I'm gonna read just a couple of Drill tweets so people have an idea about why this person is beloved. I think there should be a meter man who comes over to check your gamer meter just like they do with the water meter. <laughs> oh, you've been to therapy? Dumb. Yeah, you haven't even scratched the surface on my level. I bet none of you even know your own brain weight. <laughs> don't even know your own. I love this shit. I know it's not for everyone. I, I forget every, uh, most media people love him. So he has a famous tweet called, I'm not owned. I'm not owned. I continue to insist as I slowly shrink and transform into a corn cob. Uh-huh. Okay. So so the worst thing you can do on Twitter is if you're owned and everyone's piling on to you to try to fight back against it, what you're sort of supposed to do is just like log off, which is actually good advice. But people who don't acknowledge they've been owned are treated with like real disdain in Twitter world, right? Right. I mean, I've never personally experienced this because I've never been owned, but I, this is what I've never been owned. No. Okay. So back in 2017, when I was at the peak of doing my most important investigative reporting for New York Magazine, I wrote a piece called Why is Everyone on Twitter Suddenly Talking About Corn Cobs? And what precipitated this was a uh, friend of the podcast, Yashar Ali, had said, Astounding how quickly the Bernie Sanders crew has mobilized against Kamala Harris. And he tweeted a photo of this meme. I'll include the tweet in the show notes. Uh, it, it's her with words around her like defender of prison slavery, denier of trans rights, refused to prosecute Mnookin, Seth Mnookin. And then behind her, there's the, <laughs> this seal with like a corn and it calls her a centrist corn cob. <laughs> and it's unclear what this means. Do you, do you know what that means? 
No, I'm I'm totally confused. Right. It, this is like weird internet brochure stuff. One interpretation is she's someone who refuses to acknowledge she's been owned online, although that doesn't really make sense. Some people took it to be a reference to Half-Baked, the great Dave Chappelle stoner movie where one of the characters who's in prison says like, uh, have you ever run backward through a cornfield, which is a prison rape joke that would not fly today. But basically... Backwards through a corn... Oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> you yeah. got it. So hold on. I'll give you a minute to make sure you can picture it. Uh-huh. Okay, so because uh, woke Twitter has to be maximally outraged by everything, they decided this bizarre throwaway meme was homophobic. And and Al Giordano, who would eventually go on to have a sexual harassment scandal of his own, I'll include a link in the show notes, he tweeted, every Cretan who has spread this meme needs to reckon with how it uses corn cob, a rape culture and homophobic term popular among dude bros. What? Who is this guy? <laughs> I love that. Like explaining this to you is the reaction most people have when they when they try to understand the Twitter war. Al Giordano is some sort of activist person who, at one point, was going to try to was so mad at Bernie Sanders that he was going to replace Bernie Sanders. Uh, wait, but then instead, wait, he was like, like go to his house in Vermont and crawl into his bed. Like what? Like yep, what? <laughs> no, he was going to run against Bernie Sanders oh. and replace him. Not like that, like gotcha. you know, in bed with his wife. Gotcha. But then instead, he was disgraced when multiple people accused him of sexual harassment. <laughs> so I take it this is a heterosexual? Yeah. All right, yeah. Um, okay, so, and then the the main thing to know about Neera Tandon is like she cannot, she, during this period, she could not stop tweeting. She's simultaneously head of this powerful DC think tank and she can't fucking stop tweeting. We've all so, been there. We've all been there. So a 20-year-old student at, I think, Ohio State University, I have a screenshot of this. She says, so please just stop with the narrative that Bernie supporters are all white men who are racist and sexist. It's simply not true. I think that's fair. Like, there are a lot of Bernie Sanders people, uh, supporters who are not white men. Here's Neera Tandon responding to a random, she's the head of the Center for American Progress, responding to a random 20-year-old college student. Of course they aren't. Not all Bernie supporters go after Kamala, just some. Then she links to Yasher Ali and the corncob meme. Feel free to denounce this. Then later on, Kathy, I'm still waiting for you to denounce this corncob BS. Otherwise, your words ring kind of hollow. <sighs> so the head of the Center for American Progress is demanding a random college student denounce a meme calling Kamala Harris a corn cob. Okay, and so this is why uh, her 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 nominate her nomination uh, to head the the office of whatever was uh, was cut. <laughs> yeah, part of <laughs> I mean part of it, and I think the lesson here is just like don't tweet if you're not benefiting it from it, and don't have to. Like this is a woman who had a pretty good career in public policy, and maybe she'll be fine. But it's like. Think of the parallel universe in which she just hadn't fucking tweeted so much. You know, the, like the interesting thing about this is like, did she not realize at the time that this was going to come back and bite her in the ass? I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, maybe that's just the double standard here is that it shouldn't bite her in the ass because people like Donald fucking Trump are immune, uh, you know, from consequences. And she's not because she's not Donald fucking Trump. 
Yeah, I don't think it's fair by any means. Like, there, there's absolutely double standard here where Trump can do what he wants. Plenty of other people have said ridiculously unhinged shit, and they're in Congress. So, but yeah, I just I don't I don't think the standard should be like let's let's give everybody the Donald Trump standard. It should maybe be that we hold Donald Trump to the same standards as everybody else. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I guess it's just like to me because I've had so many times when I've tweeted stuff and then been like, why did I get in a fight with this person? Why did I do those tweets? Why did I interact with Katie Herzog, even though she's a turf? Right. Daily. I just view Nira, it's like a parable about posting too much. And like, if she had gotten something important from all these tweets and all these fights she'd gotten into, setting aside the double standard issue, you know, you could be like, well, she got something out of it. What did what did she win? She probably got that weird, awful, jittery glow you get when you like, when one of your tweets works or you dunk on someone. But what is that worth in the long you run? You know, the funny thing about when she was announced as Biden's nominee to head this office, I thought it was funny because I thought like we we had been talking a lot about whether how online the Joe Biden camp was going to be. You know, it was a little bit of a a little bit of a like, OK, this guy's not online um, and his camp isn't online because if they were, they would have known how loathed this woman is. She's really hated. Um, and I, it seems like, honestly, it seems like she has sort of a terrible personality. Um, she was, what did she say about, about Zedjelani and Lee Fong? Uh, do you want, I'm not sure. Do you want to Google that? Yeah, this was, so it, during, when WikiLeaks leaked the John Podesta emails, she, um, she had referred to two young staffers, friends of the pod, uh, Zajlani and Lee Fong from The Intercept. She called them freaks. And she did this in a private email. Um, so I'm not sure how much we should like really hold that against somebody. You know, when your private correspondence is leaked, people often say things that are not meant for public consumption. But it also just shows you like, here's a woman who a profession, an adult, a professional, the head of this organization, woman in politics who is like using her, her like private correspondence to, um, you know, say like bad things about these like young staffers who she disagrees with because they're more progressive than she is or they're more leftist than she is at least. She definitely seems like not, she doesn't come across as a kind person. And again, if someone leaked our worst emails, maybe we wouldn't either. Although mine are, mine's nothing but puppies and sunshine, but um, this is why I don't email. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, she doesn't come across as nice, and I think she there's a conspiratorial mindset among some Bernie supporters that I don't like. I think they should. I like the influence they have on the party. I think there's an imprint of what they did in the the bill that was just passed that was probably more redistributive than it would have been without their influence. They sometimes have this whole like the world is against us thing, but I do think. People like Tandon like offer some fuel for those conspiracy theories because she seems dismissive of, of leftier than her people. And she's very much enmeshed in this this DC world where like for a long time they just didn't take anyone to the left of them seriously, which I think is starting to no longer be the case. Right. Like she even getting uh getting nominated for this job, well, why did she get nominated for this job? Was she the most qualified person? Probably not. This is because she is a democratic insider with deep ties to especially to the Clintons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um This is a political appointee. I mean it's much less about like who would be who would actually do the best job. Uh, yeah, let me let me see if there's anything else I want to say about this. Any questions, Katie? I know this is fascinating. And, you know, when the final history of the United States is written after we collapse in a few years, this is going to be one of the most important stories. Oh, absolutely. Another strong brown woman taken down. 
I'm just like looking through at these names and these are just like, it's like a who's who of some of the worst people on left Twitter, left of center Twitter. Um, I think that's all I got. I hope everyone now better understands this war, which continues to rage. Although Nira Tan did not getting this position. I think a lot of people are celebrating because they see it as like a major win in this dumb Twitter war that has gone on for like half a decade now. Yeah. I'm glad she didn't get the job, but, uh, I don't really care about her tweets. I mean, I like, I think it's a bad look or whatever, but we don't really have much standing to accuse people of bad tweets. Speak for yourself. Uh, all right. Well, as always, if you have comments, you can email us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us. We're back to 4.7 as the 4.6, 4.7 war rages on on Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating or a one-star rating. I mean, don't do that, but it is a free country still. Um, it has to be either one or five, nothing in the middle. Nothing, we don't like that middle shit. So just, just choose a side you're with us or against us. Uh, reddit.com slash R slash blocked reported. Patreon is where you can get extra episodes. I always say three extra episodes a week. This is an accident I've made repeatedly. It's at least three extra episodes a month, but also dozens of episodes in our back catalog, patreon.com slash blocked reported starting at just $5 a month. Uh, if you want to vote on questions for Erica Anderson, uh, hop on that quick. And we're about to record a bonus episode about, uh, this like moral panic about Substack and, um, a couple other things, right? It's going to get hot, it's get hot and heavy. Yeah. I'm too tired to be angry. I'm not gonna be angry. I'm going to be angry for you. I'm fucking angry. You're, I will let you channel my anger. Uh, Look, anything else? <laughs> it's one thing if I falsely accuse you of being a stalker. It's a totally different thing if, if Jude Sadie Doyle does it. You mean Jude Doyle? Oh, no. That's their full name. Jude Sadie Doyle. Um, right. Well, but the, as I was saying off mic, like, I've been stalking you for years relentlessly, and you've right. been chill about it. Right. And I don't get caught yes. for that, which would be fair. And then the, the accusations of countless other stalkings, which are not true, it's just not fair. I can see the little camera that you put in my office right now. Fuck, I'm sorry you found that. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, do not be a centrist corncob. And I'm Katie Herzog, and in the immortal words of Drill, I've done so much personal growth that it is to the point where if you don't follow my post, you're fucking stupid. <laughs>